I'm going to read, uh, we're going to look at a few passages. We're going to take a look at how we deal with sin in our own lives. So um, let's take a look at 1 John 1, starting at verse 5. This is the message of God's promised revelation, which we have heard from him and now announce to you that God is light. He is holy. His message is truthful. He is perfect in righteousness. And in him there is no darkness at all, no sin, no wickedness, no imperfection. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness of sin, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we really walk in the light, that is, live each and every day in conformity with the precepts of God, as he himself is in the light, we have true, unbroken fellowship with one another, he with us, and we with him, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin by erasing the stain of sin, keeping us cleansed from sin in all its forms and manifestations. And Father, Lord, we thank you for preserving your word for us, giving us sound, clear instruction on how we are to respond to sin in our own lives. And Lord, we, we just don't want to know what your word says, but Lord, we want to apply what your word says in our lives. And uh, we just thank you, Father, in the name of Jesus. Amen. You all may be seated. Um, You know, dealing with sin in our own lives. Um, well, let me read the passage through. I'll pick up again here in verse 8. If we say we have no sin, refusing to admit that we are sinners, we delude ourselves, and the truth is not in us. His word does not live in our hearts. If we freely admit that we have sinned and confess our sins, he is faithful and just, true to his own nature and promises, and will forgive our sins and cleanse us continually from all unrighteousness, our wrongdoing, everything not in conformity with his will and purpose. If we say that we have not sinned, refusing to admit acts of sin, we make him out to be a liar by contradicting him, and his word is not in him, in us. <clears throat> we certainly see a contrast between God and ourselves, you know, starting at verse 5. This is the message of God's promised revelation, which we have heard from him and now announce to you that God is light. He is holy. His message is truthful. He is perfect in righteousness. And in him there is no darkness at all, no sin, no wickedness, no imperfection, which by implication says that we have sin, we have wickedness, and we have imperfection. And we, we know that. Um, and at times our response to our own sin you know, much um, as Adam and Eve did, can be to hide and to try to cover that up, to try to present um, a facade 
of holiness in front of each other. Um, but obviously through, through authentic interactions with each other, that really happens a lot with husbands and wives and, and families where, you know, here in the church, we, you know, we, we love each other, we care for each other, but we don't know each other deeply and intimately. But when you go home, you know, husbands and wives and families know each other intimately. So, um, and there are often, oh, I don't know if often, but there are times when, when we can hurt each other. We can be insensitive. Um, and then how do we respond to that? You know, we can sin against our spouse, our children, family members, and how do we respond to that? As I said, sometimes the, the initial, our initial response can be to hide, to deny, to cover up. But, you know, God has a plan for us. Kind of fast forward to go down to, um, let's see. Verse 9, if we freely admit that we have sinned and confess our sins, if we freely admit that we have sinned, um, as our relationship with God grows, I think it becomes easier for us to, to be aware of our own sin, to be able to admit that. Uh, the word confess in Greek is homologeo, which means to say the same thing as God about sin. If God declares that something is sin, when we confess our sins, not only do we verbally state it, but we're agreeing with God that what he said was right and that what we did was wrong. And to be able to freely do that, to say, oh, hey, you know, the Holy Spirit convicts us, what you did was wrong, and to be able to say, you know, yeah, I, I was wrong. Um, let's see. Okay, back up to verse 6. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness of sin, we lie and do not practice the truth. Obviously, all of us sin, but but a habitual walking in sin, a practice. If I say that I love God and my life demonstrates a pattern of sin, unrepentant sin, then, then I'm a liar. Um, and I'm walking in the darkness of sin. But if we really walk in the light, that is live each and every day in conformity with the precepts of God, as he himself is in the light, we have true, unbroken fellowship with one another, he with us, and we with him. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin by erasing the stain of sin, keeping us cleansed from sin in all its forms and manifestations. Verse 8, if we say we have no sin, I... Um, I grew up um, in a Pentecostal church, and I knew people who said, I'm, a, I'm saved, I don't sin. And 
really? <laughs> How did you pull that off? Um, and they were serious, too. I'm saved. I don't sin. I said, well, what, what, what about right here? And I'm like, well, that doesn't apply to me. Uh, okay. Okay. <laughs> if you say so. If we say we have no sin, refusing to admit that we are sinners, we delude, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. His word does not live in our hearts. I think we all, we've all had the experience when we've, when we've wronged someone, when we've you know, done something insensitive or done something wrong or whatever, and the spirit convicts us. And it's like, oh. And certainly it would be a very scary and dangerous thing for us to commit sin and feel no remorse about it. I'm like, no. Or to make an excuse. Well, okay, maybe it was wrong, but I did it because you made me do that. That's kind of scary. Verse 9, if we freely admit that we have sinned, and confess our sins, he is faithful and just, true to his own nature and promises. The great thing about, one of the many great things about our God is that he is merciful, and we'll see in another passage that he, he welcomes us and really he commands us to come to him when we have sinned, when we have blown it, because he knows who we are and he's welcoming us to him um, to spend time with him for that relationship uh, to be really sustained. Again, he is faithful and just, true to his own nature and promises, and he will forgive our sins and cleanse us continually from all unrighteousness, our wrongdoing, everything not in conformity with his will and purpose. If we say that we have not sinned, refusing to admit acts of sin, we make him out to be a liar by contradicting him and his word is not in us. You know, obviously, um, you know, marriage is a microcosm of the relationship between Christ and the church. And I know that during, uh, during my marriage, um, there would be times when, let's say, you know, we would have conflict, as some people would call it, um, intense fellowship. <laughs> and I think I'd shared, I shared with you all probably years ago that I used to have, I used to have a really bad anger problem. Um, and that was really due to a lot of unresolved issues with my dad and all that kind of stuff. And I used to throw remote controls at people. I know it's hard to believe, but I would have a flash of anger and I would grab whatever was near me and, and I would throw it in. And often when I did afterwards, I would like, oh man, that's not good. Didn't happen a lot, 
But when it did, it was, it was kind of scary to me that I allowed, well, it revealed that there was something inside of me, sin, that would manifest as just this flash of anger. And, and you know, when we get mad, we kind of lose all sense of reasoning. And we'll, we can say and do things that we can't unsay and that we have to apologize for. But I had to admit, and, and my point, I was going somewhere with that, my point was that then it was hard for me to really admit, man, that was wrong, that was really wrong. It was, like I said earlier, as, as Adam and Eve did, I would wanna hide. You know, I would throw the remote, I'd say something, and then I'd wanna hide. But I learned that issue wouldn't be resolved until I honestly apologized and made a plan not to do that again and communicated clearly. Again, if we say that we have not sinned, refusing to admit acts of sin, we make him out to be a liar by contradicting him. And just that phrasing, you know, sounds weird. We make God out to be a liar? That's not good, because obviously God doesn't lie. But we're, we're deceiving ourselves, we're deluding ourselves when we do that. Um, and then finally, his word is not in us. You know, the passage doesn't say that his word was in us and then it left. It says his word is not in us. Thankfully, you know, and, and this is strong wording because of God's love for us. He wants us to understand the state of our heart when we don't yield to him. All right, next passage. James 1, we kind of see the same ideas represented here. Starting at verse 9, understand this, my beloved brothers and sisters. Let everyone be quick to hear, be a careful, thoughtful listener. Slow to speak, a speaker of carefully chosen words, and slow to anger, patient, reflective, forgiving. That's a lot. It's good. Let's look at it again. Let everyone be quick to hear, be a careful, thoughtful listener. Now, I know in my experience when, when there are those times when I got really upset, I wasn't listening. And I'm thinking you guys are a lot like me. When we get really upset, we're not listening. And then we, we are eager to respond instead of waiting. Be slow to speak, a speaker of carefully chosen words. Now, the words we say are carefully chosen, but they're the wrong words that are carefully chosen. <laughs> <laughs> and 
and slow to anger, patient, reflective, forgiving. I didn't give this to, uh, to Joe and Mike, but let's go over to Genesis 4. We'll see an example of this. Going to visit our good friends Cain and Abel. Okay, Genesis 4, and we'll start at verse 3. Uh, we'll start at verse 1. Now the man Adam knew Eve as his wife, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I have obtained a man, a baby boy, a son, with the help of the Lord. And later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept the flocks of sheep and goats, but Cain cultivated the ground. And in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. But Abel brought an offering of the finest firstborn of his flock and the fat portions. And the Lord had respect, regard for Abel and for his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no respect. So Cain became extremely angry, indignant, and he looked annoyed and hostile. And I love this counsel from God to Cain. And we can apply it to our own lives if we are prone to get really angry. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you so angry? You know, I've had to ask myself that question at times. Um, thankfully, again, I don't get really, really, really mad like I used to back when I was in my 20s and 30s. But it's, it's a great question. Why are you so angry? And there are times I, I, I will stop and ask myself. Let's say if I find myself you know, getting annoyed or getting impatient, I'll stop and ask myself, so why are, you, why are you so upset? Why are you so impatient? Why are you so you know, agitated? And that really prompts us to slow things down to say, okay, what, what is causing this? Often, um, I think for us, we, we feel like we've been wronged or someone has disrespected us or I know a big thing for me, um, and it still can kind of be the case, when I feel like someone is not listening to me, especially if I've shared something multiple times with someone and they're not listening to me, that can cause me to get really agitated. And I have to stop and say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Still, as God asking, what, so why are you so angry? And why do you look annoyed? If you do well, and listen to this, if you do well, believing me and doing what is acceptable and pleasing to me, Will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, but ignore my instruction, sin crouches at your door. Its desire is for you, to overpower you, but you must master it. That is great counsel 
for all of us. Starting with, okay, why am I so angry? God basically says, if you will follow my instructions, you'll be fine. But if you don't, sin is waiting to overpower. Sin is crouching at the door. We see the imagery of, you know, we all watched Animal Kingdom. What was the guy's name in Animal Kingdom? Um, you know his name back in the 70s. What was his? Come on, you know his name. <laughs> Mufasa. No. <laughs> no. It, oh, man. Marlon Perkins. That's it. Yes. How many watched Animal Kingdom, Wild Kingdom, Animal Kingdom? Marlon Perkins. Yes, yes, yes. But we all, we saw the, we saw the, the lions and the cheetahs crouching, waiting for that injured animal to stroll by. And they just pounced. Sin, if we're not listening to God, if we're not walking in his ways, if we're not adhering to his commands, sin is like that lion crouching and waiting for us to pounce. Sin crouches at your door. Its desire is for you, to overpower you, but you must, you must master it. All right, let's head back over to James. Uh, again, verse 19, understand this, my beloved brothers and sisters. Let everyone be quick to hear. Be a careful, thoughtful listener, slow to speak, a speaker of carefully chosen words and slow to anger. So we see how this passage ties right in with Genesis 4 and God's instruction for us. For the resentful, deep-seated anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God, that standard of behavior which he requires from us. Have any of you ever thought that, what is it called, um, righteous indignation? Have you guys ever had righteous indignation? And then sometimes it's gotten out of control. <laughs> For the resentful, deep-seated anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. That standard of behavior which he requires from us, that's why he is instructing us through James to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. And obviously there are things in life that we are to be angry about, injustice. But I think a lot of times we don't know when our righteous indignation crosses the line to deep-seated, resentful anger. And then it can, sometimes it can become self-righteousness. And I don't think we know when we cross that line. Verse 20, 
For the resentful, deep-seated anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God, that standard of behavior which he requires from us. So get rid of all uncleanness and all that remains of wickedness, and with a humble spirit receive the word of God, which is implanted, actually rooted in your heart, which is able to save your souls. Whenever I'm reading the word studying or in devotional time, I try to remind myself, especially with passages that that I'm per- pretty familiar with, um, I, I've been doing a reading plan, um, an annual reading plan for probably the last 25 years. And what I always find is that I come across a passage and it's like, I don't remember reading that before because the word of God is alive and it's powerful. Again, I've I read through it for at, at least the last 25 years, but I'll, I'll read it and say, I really don't remember this. With a humble spirit, receive the word of God, which is implanted, actually rooted in your heart. Have you ever read the word of God and you had the thought, this would be good for this person, this other person to, (laughs) have you ever thought that? (laughs) This would be a good passage for them. Now that may be true, but when we're reading the word, it's for us for us to grow, for us to be challenged. With a humble spirit, receive the word of God, which is implanted, actually rooted in your heart, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves doers of the word, actively and continually obeying God's precepts, and not merely listeners who hear the word of God, but fail to internalize its meaning And here's that word again, deluding yourselves by unsound reasoning contrary to the truth. You know, the same same idea with refusing to confess, confusing to homologeo, sin, to agree with God. When When I don't do that, I'm deluding myself. When I read God's word, and I don't apply it. Pastor Randy says this all the time. It's not the word of God that changes our hearts. It's the application of the word of God. Because actually, um, if I'm not applying the word of God, it becomes dangerous to me. If I'm just reading it, if I'm memorizing it, but I'm not applying it, the word of God is dangerous to me. Because I have the head knowledge, I, you know, I have the intellectual knowledge, but I'm not applying it and it's not changing my heart. Let's see. Verse 23. For if anyone only listens to the word without obeying it, he is like a man who looks very carefully at his natural face in a mirror. Uh, How many here uh, looked in the mirror this morning before you 
you know, kind of went about your day. All right. Great. Got to shave. Thank you for sharing that. Um, are you able to shave without looking in the mirror? Accurate? No. No. We have to, we have to see what we're addressing. And the word of God is this mirror for us. You know, I'm sure you all have heard this illustration. If, okay, I got up this morning and I looked in the mirror and, you know, I had all this stuff on my face and stuff in my nose and stuff out of my mouth and I looked at myself and said, looks good. <laughs> I'm on my way. Well, everyone I come into contact with outside the house, like, is this guy a mental patient or what? Same thing, same idea with us reading the word and not applying it to our lives. Let's see, verse 24. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he immediately forgets what he looked like. But he who looks carefully into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and faithfully abides by it, not having become a careless listener who forgets but an active doer who obeys, he will be blessed and favored by God in what he does in his life of obedience. If anyone thinks himself to be religious, scrupulously observant of the rituals of his faith, and does not control his tongue, and here's that word again, but deludes his own heart, this person's religion is worthless, futile, barren. Um, I am learning that I don't have to say everything. I don't have to say everything. And even deeper than that, I have to guard my thoughts about things. Um, kind of going back to that Genesis passage, there are, um, you know, there are thoughts that I've had, you know, things that have happened, I think about it, and then really I'll think and say, is that, did you think about that the right way? Do you know the whole story? Be swift to hear, slow to speak. Because I'm realizing I often don't have the whole story when I see something happen. I don't have the whole story. Uh, now, we all have opinions, but without all the information, I can't make um, an accurate judgment. Well, that rain's coming down out there. Okay, again, we don't want to delude ourselves. Let's go to, again, having given this to Joe and Mike, let's go to um, Luke 18. The Pharisee and the tax collector. We know the story. Starting at verse 9, Luke 18, starting at verse 9. 
He also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves and were confident that they were righteous. That's a dangerous combination. They were trusting in themselves. They were confident they were righteous. And they viewed others with contempt. That's the dangerous combination. Being self-righteous and looking at others with contempt. Two men went into the temple enclosure to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood ostentatiously and began praying to himself in a self-righteous way, saying, God, I thank you that I am not like the rest of men, swindlers, unjust, dishonest, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector standing at a distance will not even raise his eyes toward heaven, but was striking his chest in humility and repentance and saying, God, be merciful and gracious to me, the especially wicked sinner that I am. I tell you, this man went to his home justified, forgiven of the guilt of sin and placed in right standing with God. Rather than the other man, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But he who humbles himself, forsaking self-righteous pride, will be exalted. You know, Jesus is a master teacher, and we see that throughout the New Testament. When he would set these parables up, I'm, I assume, actually I'm sure, as soon as Jesus said, two men went into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, and the other tax collector, I'm sure his audience looked at the comparison and said, oh, no, the Pharisee, he's holy. That, you know, the tax collector, want nothing to do with him. And as the story, he unfolds the story, he prompts his listeners to really think about things beyond the surface. You know, things can seem a certain way, but what's going on beneath the surface? Uh, fasting is a good thing, right? Uh, giving tithes is a good thing, right? Um, swindlers are not good people. Being dishonest is not a good thing. Uh, being adult an adulterer is not a good thing. But this man's, the, this Pharisee's perspective was one of self-righteousness, was one of pride. And he wasn't availing himself to the truth of God's word. All right, back to James. Okay, let's go to Hebrews 4. Four, starting at verse 12. For the word of God is living and active and full of power, making it operative, energizing, and effective. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, penetrating as far as the division of the soul and spirit, the completeness of a person and of both joints and marrow, the deepest part of our nature exposing and judging the very thoughts 
and intentions of the heart. I know that as I scan the room, everyone in here, I know there are times that you've read God's word and perhaps you haven't shared your concern with anyone else, but reading the word of God, God through his spirit exposed your heart. And that's, that is both exciting and certainly because of God's love for us, uh, because God knows us better than we, knows our, than, he, than we know ourselves, it's also kind of scary. You know, we look at the, the accounts in the New Testament when Jesus was uh, sitting with, particularly with scribes and Pharisees, and they would think something, and then Jesus would look at them and say, so why do you feel that way? Can you imagine what those guys did? I didn't say anything. You know, looking right at them and say, so, why do you feel that way? Like, but what? What are you talking about? Or he would just say what they were thinking and then ask, or ask them a question about what they were thinking. Um, like, ee. You know, I, one of, I've shared this before, but one of uh, the things I really want to see in heaven is, what did Jesus write on the ground? with the woman caught in adultery that caused those guys to drop their rocks and walk away. And what I love about it, Jesus did not raise his voice. In fact, he quietly stooped on the ground and was writing. And, you know, the context of the account tells us that the, they were yelling at him like, what are you going to do? And he calmly stood, and whatever he wrote, he said, he who's without sin cast the first stone. And then knelt right back down, and they just, they started leaving. I want to know what he wrote. <laughs> so it had a profound impact on their lives. And I... I used to believe that Jesus was putting them in their place, but I, I really believe that he was lovingly sharing with them that there was a better way for them to live. But I, that's one of the many accounts that I, I want to see. So Jesus, what did you write? But God does that with our own hearts. He as we're reading his word, he will, he will arrest our hearts. A different form of cardiac arrest there, uh, Dan. It's like, oh, I know there are times I've read, I'm like, oh, that, that's me. I need to make a change. Okay, for the word of God is living and active and full of power, making it operative, energizing, and effective. It is sharper than a two-edged sword, penetrating as far as the division of the soul and spirit, the completeness of a person and of both joints and marrow, the deepest parts of our nature, exposing and judging the very thoughts and intentions of the heart. And not a creature exists that is concealed from his sight, 
but all things are open and exposed and revealed to the eyes of him with whom we have to give account. Inasmuch then as we believers have a great high priest who has already ascended and passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession of faith and cling tenaciously to our absolute trust in him as Savior. And I would say that clinging tenaciously to him is easier said than done. Um, now, we are all working toward that end of being able to rest, what is it, Psalm 46 and 10, to be still and to know that he is God, to know that he is the sovereign God who is in control of everything, um, that he does all things well, that he is merciful, he is kind, because we all experience things in life that they kind of rock our world, basically. And sometimes it can be hard for us to reconcile God's love, God's mercy, and God's kindness with what we're experiencing. But really, that is the essence of trust of knowing who God is, knowing the character of God, and something else that I'm learning, and, and Jesus gave us a great example of that in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he acknowledged the pain that he was experiencing. He acknowledged being overwhelmed with the thought of the cross I think not only the, the physical experience that he was approaching, but also really the separation that he would, he would experience, the separation from his father, taking on the sins of the world and that had to be, you know, as exemplified from his words, just overwhelming for him. But he didn't stop there, you know. Um, in fact, Jesus said that I am in agony. And I think we, we, need to, we need to express that at times because there are times that we're in agony. But then to say, as Jesus said, not my will, but thy will be done. God, um, God, I don't know what to do here. Uh, you have a plan. God, I know that you're loving. I know that you're kind. God, I want to be obedient to you. I, I want to do your will. So again, 14, inasmuch then as we believers have a great high priest who has already ascended, and pass through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession of faith and cling tenaciously to our absolute trust in him as Savior. For we do not have a high priest who was unable to sympathize 
and understand our weaknesses and temptations. But one who has been tempted, knowing exactly how it feels to be human in every respect as we are, yet without committing any sin. Um, something else I'm learning how to do is, and I believe this is um, communicated in Psalm 62 and 8, to pour out my heart to God. God, this hurts. God, I'm frustrated. God, I'm overwhelmed. Um, God, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. God, I'm angry. You know what? I, I learned God can handle my anger. He, he's, he'll be okay. <laughs> he'll be okay. And much like he dealt, like he dealt with Cain, many times God will, will kind of communicate to me through his word, so, so why are you so angry? Why exactly are you angry? And I think about it, it's like, oh, yeah, because my feelings were hurt. Or I was embarrassed. Or, or that person didn't listen to me. And this part, the 16th verse is, I think is key for all of us. Therefore, let us with privilege approach the throne of grace. That is the throne of God's gracious favor with confidence and without fear so that we may receive mercy for our failures and find his amazing grace to help in time of need an appropriate blessing coming just as the just at the right moment we are we are welcomed to come before the throne of grace and what's great about this passage we're not commanded to come before him when we do everything right we're commanded to come before him when we've blown it when we've messed up he's saying come um, what is it, Isaiah 1, where he's speaking to um, the people, and they're, the leaders are sinning, they're, you know, they're conniving, they're unjust, and he says, come, let us reason together. You haven't listened to me, you haven't been obedient, but he says, come, let's talk about it. That's pretty cool. God wants to hear from us. He wants us to homo logeo. He wants us to agree with him that what he says is sin is sin, and he will restore us. We serve an amazing God, a loving God, a patient God. And he has a plan for our lives. Oh, it's 8.07 and I'm done. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for your love for us. We're thankful for your mercy. We are thankful that you have welcomed us to your throne of grace. Where we can find mercy in our time of need. 
and we all have times of need. Lord, thank you for your love. Thank you for who you are and your kindness. And again, Lord, we pray for Pastor Randy and Crystal. Lord, you know their situations. And Lord, we ask that uh, your will be done with what they're dealing with. And Lord, we know that you're gracious, you're kind, you do all things well. And we just praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen.